She looks at him and says, You risk bringing their anchor. Their anchor? <laughs> they got a boat up there? What's going on? <laughs> <laughs> drop anchor. He's like, well, I want to drop trial first, and then I'll drop anchor. <laughs> Welcome to Damn It, Jim, the podcast with your host, Dana Smith and Dan Calzaretta. This week, we're taking a deep dive into Season 2, Episode 16, Gamesters of Triskeline. Triskeline. Fuck, I see it and it screwed me up. <laughs> Triskelion. Isn't it Triskelion? It's Triskelion. Triskelion. I spelled it out. Okay, I forgot that I had it spelled out here. Yeah, Triskelion, yeah. Okay, let me try this again. This week, we're taking a deep dive into Season 2, Episode 16, the gamesters of Triescalon. I fucking still said it wrong. <laughs> we just talked about it. <laughs> Triskelion. That's it. Okay. Okay. I'm moving on. Yeah. Let's move on. So before we get to this week's exciting episode, we want to review some messages. Victor wrote to us and said, The Trouble with Tribbles is, of course, one of my favorite original Star Trek episodes. My favorite scene was when Scotty threw the first punch in the brawl at the K-7 space station. So our good friend Zachary O'Donnell said, One of my all-time favorites. Always enjoyable to see how action characters deal with goofy problems. Humor in this episode is awesome. This is much better than turning the crew into a musical ensemble. What a fiasco on Strange New World. I don't suppose you saw that yet, Dan, the uh, musical on Strange New World. I haven't seen any of those. I was reading some about it, and I think it was really a divisive episode. It sounded like some people loved it. Some people really hated it. I got to say, the way they came about with it was creative, but it's not Star Trek. There's no singing in Star Trek, unless it's Uhura. Or Riley. Yeah, and then that's bad singing. We got a message from our friend Pam, says, wow, a sponsor so there's some company out there that you haven't uh, alienated at least <laughs> our good friend cindy said uh, a sponsor that is awesome i would not put my money on it being ikea or any hollywood wig company true we cut that tie a long time ago so oh, yeah that ship has sailed another friend from the midwest bob from chicago said he'll be a listener for life and he likes the idea of us doing the twilight zone for our next podcast do you have any other uh messages or comments Comments, Dan? Well, we did get two phone calls, Dana. That's right. That's one more than we had last week. Well, it's double, actually. <laughs> See, I'm pretty good at math. Yeah, we doubled in just one week, which is fantastic. By the way, here's a ramble jar question for you, Dana. If I gave you an option of taking a million dollars, okay, I'm going to give you a million dollars, or doubling one penny every day for a month, which one would you take? I'd take the million dollars, I think. Okay, let's see how it's looking for you. So at day two, how much would you have? Two cents. Two cents, right? So at day 15, you'd have $163.00. 84 cents. At day 20, only 10 days left in the month. This is assuming the month has 30 days. So you'd have $5,242.88. So still looking pretty good. At day 30, $5,368,709.12. Can I change my answer? Yes. <laughs> well, here's what I'm getting to. If we just doubled the calls we got every day, at the end of a month, we'd have 5.3 million calls, Dana. I think we can do it. Wow. That sounds great. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So anyway, uh, <laughs> <laughs> even if, even if we got twenty calls, that would be pretty good. 
<laughs> anyway, Dana, our first call is from one of our loyal listeners, Olivia, and I think she's been with us since the beginning, hasn't she? She started sending us messages on Facebook uh, in the first season, for sure. Anyway, here is what she had to say. I love the last episode because the triples episode is one of my favorites. It's actually the first episode I ever showed my younger siblings. Also, just listening to you guys talk and share your anecdotes and stories is probably one of the best parts of all the episodes. But anyway, I just love your guys' show. Um, keep doing what you're doing. Also, please, 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 this would be awesome if you would do a special episode because you mentioned the Deep Space Nine triple episode. It would be epic if you guys talked through that one as well. Have a wonderful week and as always, live long and prosper. Bye. Yeah, it was really nice to hear Olivia's voice and to hear her ideas on some things we should do for the show, including a special where we talk about the Deep Space Nine episode where they have the triple problem as well. Yeah, I actually love that episode. I mentioned it last week. That would be kind of fun. Yeah, I've never seen that episode. You haven't? No. Oh, this might be something we might want to consider then. Yeah, I, th I think it's a good idea. So thanks, Olivia, for that phone call. It was great hearing from you. Dana, we also received a call from Bill in Lacey, Washington. Here's what Bill had to say. Hey, damn it, dude. Love this show. When I heard you had a uh, sponsor, I figured it was going to be Space Age Adult Diapers. I was totally shocked. Congrats on the sponsor. Love the show. Keep it up. Take care. Ciao. So, Dana, he was surprised that our first sponsor was not an adult diaper company. You know, Dan, uh, I think a lot of people were. The way we promoted North Shore diapers, I was sure that they were going to come on. Well, thanks, Bill, for taking the time to call. It was great to hear from you as well. And, Dana, we would also love to hear from all of our listeners, you know, even if it was 5.3 million calls at the end of the month. We would work <laughs> through all those. And we do have a phone number you can use and leave us a voicemail, of course. But here's the new challenge that I have for our listeners, Dana. Maybe we haven't been specific enough. We've said just call and leave some kind of comment. Well, I think a lot of people these days are struggling with whatever issues, you know, they're struggling with. I think they should call us with a problem they are trying to solve and ask us for our advice. Maybe they are having, I don't know, their love life maybe is in shambles and they want some advice or maybe they're, I don't know, time traveler who wants to share some stock market secrets with us or something. <laughs> you know, maybe you don't get along with you, our neighbor. I mean, that could, that could be too. <laughs> whatever it is, I think people should give us a call, leave us a message. Again, the number is 509-676-6298. And I'll put that in the show notes as well. Anyway, we'd love to hear from more of our listeners. And again, we doubled our calls this week from one to two. Let's go for four next week. I think we can do it. Let's make a bet, Dan. Okay. Say how many calls you think we'll have next week. I'm going to say six. I was going to go with five. Five. Okay. So look, don't make either of us the losers. Listeners, call. Just call that number. It could be a short message. could be a long rambling thing. Doesn't matter. We'd love to hear from you. Yeah, definitely. Dan, I think you got one more message. I think we got an email you want to discuss. Oh, yeah, that's right. We got an email from our friend Lou in Canada this week. He has also been a listener since season one and has been very forthcoming about our, I don't know, flaws, maybe? Is that the best way to put it? <laughs> and occasionally our moments of brilliance. So going back to Wolf in the Fold, he did not like the way we, i.e. Dana, pronounced Argelius. He did like that we suggested that a phaser could be used to draw a chalk outline of the dead body. And we didn't call the transporter guy by his name, which is... Kyle. So sorry about that, Lou. We'll try to make sure to get that right the next time. But thanks for the message. So thanks to all of our listeners for their emails, phone calls, messages. Keep keep those coming. Don't forget this Damn It Jim podcast is sponsored by Photobucket. Photobucket is an American company with over 100 million registered members. Dana, think of all the
the Star Trek memorabilia that must be out there already on Photo Bucket as we speak. Dan, we know that our listeners have a lot of Star Trek memorabilia, pictures and videos, including some vintage images that they would really hate to lose. Imagine if you could share your images with other like-minded individuals or groups. All those convention moments, those great cosplay triumphs, the time you got your picture taken with your favorite Star Trek actor. Be amazing. Photo Bucket gives you one secure place to store all those memories. No more digging around through old hard drives to find your pictures from that 1985 convention. With Photo Bucket, you can organize and even create stunning Star Trek-themed albums. How about slideshows? I think that would be ideal. Yes, Dan. They can create slideshows. With Photo Bucket, the universe is unlimited. That's actually pretty awesome. And right now, Photo Bucket is offering one free month to our loyal listeners. What a great way to try it out. And Photo Bucket is also offering one terabyte of storage for only $5 a month. $5. That's a pretty good deal, Dana. How do our listeners get that free month? When you sign up for Photo Bucket, put in the code DAMMITJIM and you will receive one month free. It's that easy, Dana. And don't forget, Photo Bucket integrates seamlessly with all your favorite social media platforms, making it easy for you to share your adventures and let your Star Trek spirit shine across the entire universe. So beam yourself up to Photo Bucket today and start preserving and sharing your Star Trek memories like never before. Don't wait, because the final frontier awaits your creativity. Visit photobucket.com now and unlock a universe of possibilities. Even Dr. McCoy can see the logic in this. Don't forget to use Dammit Jim when you sign up to receive a free month. Okay, Dan, let's see what's going on in the Enterprise this week as we discuss the gamesters of Triskelion. So, Dan, we start with the captain's log. As Kirk says, we are entering standard orbit around Gamma 2, an uninhabited planetoid with an automatic communications and astrogation station. Ensign Chekhov, Lieutenant Uhura, and I will beam down and make a routine check of its facilities. Dan, do you know what an astrogation station is? Not really, no. Astrogation means to navigate in space. So it's a a compass or something? (laughs) Space compass. So Kirk leaves Spock in command. Check off Kirk and Yohora enter the transporter room and wait to be beamed down. Was it Ensign Kyle that was uh, manning the post this time? I don't think it was. I don't think so. It was Scotty, actually, but there was somebody else there with him. There was, but I don't think it was Kyle. I don't think Scotty and Kyle get along. I think you're right. Kyle's Irish or English and Scotty's Scottish. Yeah. They still hold a grudge. Oh, it, even into the 23rd century. That, that, that grudge is never going away, Dana. And it shouldn't either. <laughs> As a 40% Scotsman, I'm saying they should not forget. So just as Scotty starts the process of beaming them down, the three instantaneously disappear. We see the three of them all of a sudden fall flat on their backs on a cement pad with yellow markings. And uh, they all act like they were literally dropped out of the sky onto the pad. Mm -hmm. Kirk looks around and quickly realizes they're not on Gamma 2, pointing out that the sky is different and that he sees a trinary sun. So Scotty calls the Spock on the bridge and reports that the, the way team just vanished from the transporter pads. And Spock says, as only Spock could, I presume you mean they vanished in a manner not consistent with the usual workings of the transporter, Mr. Scott. Aye, of course I mean that. You think I'd call you if they just beamed down? I love how Scotty kind of just gives it to Spock there. It's like, what do you think I am, a freaking idiot? <laughs> 
Although, Dana, when he was reading his line, James Doohan, this is one of the things I have about this episode, Dana, and I'm just, I might as well get started right now. It was as though he was looking at the script, and I got the feeling from all of the actors in this show that they got the script about two minutes before they started filming. It was just very wooden the way that things were delivered. I, I just hated it. Okay. Wow. Shall we move on to the next episode we're going to do? And <laughs> No, because I want to I want to vent my... <laughs> I want to vent my displeasure all over this episode. On the planet, they try to use their communicators to reach the ship, but they're not working. We see this big, ugly guy with bad teeth and a knife approaching, and then another man carrying a knife, and then two women come out with weapons. Uhura sees them first, and Kirk orders phasers set on stun. Of course, the phasers don't work either. Then Kirk says, hand-to-hand. I thought he was talking like form a chain. He actually meant hand-to-hand combat. Yeah. Well, did you notice? Sorry. I'm sorry. I'm going to just... This is going to be one of those nights. <laughs> the guy in the brown tunic, not not the tall guy with the teeth, but the other guy. With the 1950s hairstyle. Yes. And he looked like Elvis or Ricky Nelson. Could have been either of those two guys. And he's been working out. Yeah, he, he did look a little, <laughs> little more muscular than Ricky Nelson, for sure. And Elvis also. <laughs> that had to be on purpose, right? I mean, they had to say, oh, we want this guy to look like Elvis and or Ricky Nelson before he burned himself up in the airplane. I mean, freebasing. This was the uh, first acting job for uh, that guy. Really? Yeah, Lars. Lars, yeah. Oddly enough, Chekhov ends up fighting the big ugly guy. And again, it's like a comedic moment, you know, where none of Chekhov's punches do anything. Right. And then Uhura fights the two women quite poorly, I should add. <laughs> It looked like nobody really wanted to win a fight or even break a nail in that uh, fight. Well, did you notice the weapons they had? They were uh, leftover from uh, Spock's marriage. But they also looked like coat racks that had like a blade put on one end. <laughs> I mean, see, this is this is the episode, Dana. It's just, mm, mm, yeah, not good. Okay. See where we're going with this. Oh, yeah. And, of course, Kirk takes on the knife-wielding guy with the 1950s hairdo. Uh, Chekhov is easily beaten by the big guy, and Uhura loses to the two women. The women were interesting, though. The one who had the yellow skin. Yeah. She looked like an overgrown Oompa Loompa with jaundice to me. She needed to see a doctor. <laughs> Yeah. So Kirk manages to get the upper hand on this 1950s guy, but then one of the women wearing an aluminum foil halter top hits Kirk from behind and then knocks him down and thrusts the spear end of her weapon at his throat. Well, the woman with the foil, she looked to me like her costume was made of Jiffy Pop foil containers, Dana. <laughs> Yeah, I, I couldn't think of how to describe it, but that's right. Yeah. Two Jiffy Pop foil containers. That have really popped. <laughs> and they were popped full on. I didn't like Jiffy Pop, but now I think I'm going to go get some. Two packages, though, of it I need. <laughs> <laughs> the cool thing about Jiffy Pop, man, was it wasn't even eating the popcorn. It was watching it pop. Yeah. I mean, I think we burned it half the time, mm -hmm. but I, just the fact that you got to watch it pop. Did you get that like for special movie nights or something when you were a kid? Yeah, usually like my parents would go out on a Friday night or something and they'd leave us with my brother to, uh, you know, babysit us. And they'd always say, well, we left you some Jiffy Pop. For dinner? <laughs> so my mom would always make a full meal for oh, us good, and stuff. Good. And then, uh, but she'd say, we we left you some Jiffy Pop. We know you guys like watching movies on Friday nights because that was when uh, Creature Features was on. Do they still sell Jiffy Pop? I haven't, I haven't looked in years, probably. Then a bald guy in a robe appears. He has a red collar and he has something around his neck with uh, two triangular colored pieces. And 
and he credits Kirk with his fighting abilities and his competitive spirit. This guy says his name is Galt, Master Thrall of the planet Triskelion. He says, I have been sent to welcome you. Yeah, nice welcome, buddy. So suddenly we cut to a chamber where Kirk is secured to the wall and the big ugly dude is holding Kirk's face like he was about to do some dental work on him. <laughs> And we pull back and see Chekhov and Uhura are also tied to the wall, and they all have metal collars on with the triangular pieces on each side. Galt says, there, Captain, now you are prepared for your training. He goes on to explain that the providers were expecting you. Dan, I take it these were not uh, healthcare providers that uh, were expecting them. No, because your healthcare provider is never expecting you, even when you make an appointment. <laughs> So true. So Galt goes on to say the providers were expecting you. They arranged your transportation. Kirk says these providers of yours. And Galt says, correction, they're not ours. We are theirs. What? I didn't get, I, you know, when he said that, I didn't get, see, there's another thing, Dana, about this freaking episode. <laughs> what does that mean? It means they're in some kind of weird relationship, Dan. That's, uh... <laughs> well, you know what they should do? They should call the damage gym hotline. We'd give them advice on like how to deal with the situation. <laughs> Kirk tries to explain that there's been some mistake, that they are officers of United Spaceship on Federation business. And Galt says, there has been no mistake. Your old titles mean nothing here, Captain. Well, then why call him Captain? Yeah, I was just going to say. He said, you are thralls now. He says, come, places have been prepared for you. Kirk stops and says, we're not going anywhere until we have some information. Who are you? What is this place? What do you think you're going to do with us? Galt says, I am Galt, the master thrall. This place is planet Triskelion. You are to be trained and spend the rest of your lives here. The word thrall is actually an old Norse word that means slave. Wow. So back on the Enterprise, Spock is checking different controls when Scotty comes on the bridge. Scotty says the transporter works perfectly. He says whatever happened to it had nothing to do with the ship malfunctioning. Spock agrees and says there are no life forms down on the planet. McCoy's there because nobody's ever sick on the Enterprise because <laughs> he's always got time to be on the bridge. Being annoying. McCoy asks, what the devil is happening? And he says, does that mean that their atoms are just floating around out there? And Spock says, no, doctor. Even that would show up on the sensors. Spock says, we shall continue sensor scans. At the moment, that is all we can do, except hope for a rational explanation. McCoy kind of raises an eyebrow and says... I always thought that was a human failing, Mr. Spock. True, Doctor. Constant exposure does result in a certain degree of contamination. Best line in the show. I, I agree. That was a good line. But here's another thing I didn't like about this episode. They played this like funny light music after that quip. And they did that a couple of times in the show. Yeah, to make it seem like, I mean, they're, they're adding some humor in. And they want you to realize they're adding some humor in. Yeah, didn't like it. Did not like it at all. On the planet, Galt is showing the away team their quarters, which look pretty much like jail cells. <laughs> <laughs> Now that you mention it, Dana, they, they looked exactly like jail cells. You're right. I didn't even think about that, really. I mean, they're a little more brightly colored than most jail cells I've seen. Yeah, I think the bars were pink. Yeah, the bars were pink. Mm -hmm. So, you know, maybe they had Barbie in there as well. So Kirk gives Chekhov a look, and then they try to make a break for it. As they run, there's a loud piercing sound, and we see Galt's eyes are all glowing as the three of them are stopped in their tracks by their collars on their necks. They all, like, grab at their throats, and they drop on the floor, grasping at their necks. Galt walks up to 
Kirk and says, that was foolish. Escape is quite impossible, as demonstrated by your collars of obedience. And so they go into their cells and Galt and the others walk off. When Kirk's collar first starts to zap him and the look he gets on his face, you know, classic Shatner. So the next thing we see is Spock and McCoy on the bridge of the Enterprise as Spock tells McCoy they are not in the solar system. And McCoy asks, can people just survive as disassembled atoms in a transporter beam? And Spock kind of ponders this for a moment and says, I have never heard of a study being done, but it would be a fascinating project. Fascinating? Those people are friends of ours out there if they're still alive. Precisely. Well, the odds are not good. No, I would say approximately 400. Don't quote odds and don't give me any more dispassionate logic, Mr. Spock. Just keep looking for them. I would welcome a suggestion, Doctor, even an emotional one. First time you've ever asked me for anything, and it has to be an occasion like this. Spock hears this, and he gives McCoy kind of a funny look. And they that's, they did that music again. Yes, the music again, Dana. Another reason I didn't like this episode. Well, you're starting to make me not like it. Well, I'm not trying to convince you, Dana, but but it sucked. It just, it sucked. So we return to Triascalon, or where the fuck this place is called. We, tur- <laughs> we return to the... <laughs> We return to the planet where Chekhov asks if the Enterprise will be trying to find them. And Uhura comments, but where do they look? We're here, but we don't know where it is. Then the guy with the 1950s hairdo comes down to Uhura's cell and says, I am Lars and I am your drill thrall. So he lets himself into her cell and he says, there is little time. And then we they kind of get pushed back and we see the shadow of him grabbing Uhura as she screams. And Kirk goes bananas. He keeps calling from his cell, Uhura, are you all right? And she can continues to scream and we hear Lars say I've been selected for you just then the blonde green haired woman with aluminum foil outfit comes around towards Kirk's cell and Kirk reaches out for her he wanted some jiffy pop We see Kirk's face is pressed against his bars and asking if Uhura is all right. We see Uhura and Lars standing by the cell door. Lars says is not allowed to refuse selection. And he opens the door and he looks kind of pouty and he exits. And Uhura seems to be okay. The aluminum foil girl tells Kirk to step away from the door. Kirk does and she comes in and sets a tray down on his table and says, come, it's the nourishment interval. So once again, we go up to the Enterprise and Spock repeats the details of the show so far. There's a lot of repetition in the a lot, Dana. Yes. Ensign Haynes, uh, who was at the helm before, calls Spock and says there's a fluctuation energy reading on a hydrogen cloud. Spock notes it seems to be an ionization trail. Right. Yeah. And Scotty's like, no, we just dumped the toilets out the <laughs> side of the ship. And that's what happens. I left an ionization trail. All right. <laughs> I eat myself some haggis. <laughs> So Spock orders Ensign Haynes to plot a follow course. Naturally, McCoy is upset and says, You're going to leave here without them? And run off on some wild goose chase halfway across the galaxy just because you found a discrepancy in a hydrogen cloud? Doctor, I'm chasing the captain, Lieutenant Uhura, and Ensign Chekhov, not some wild aquatic fowl. Another good line by Spock. Yeah, he's he's a little uh, testy, isn't he? Uh, wait till later. I, uh, <laughs> I tell you. McCoy would be like floating in space next to the urine. So it's a... 
Yeah, McCoy was annoying. Oh, my God, yeah. It seemed a little bit un-McCoy-like in some ways, Dana. Yeah, and later, it gets to be not quite like Scotty either. So anyway, we see Chekhov in his cell, and the woman in pink with the huge helmet of hair and big bushy <laughs> eyebrows and pale greenish-yellow skin comes in. Reminds me of a date I had in college, but anyway. Wait, are you going to talk about this? or? Uh... <laughs> no, it's a bad memory. Let's oh, it's a bad, okay, we don't want to go there then. <laughs> Chekhov asks if she's been selected for him. She says, I am only your drill thrall. But you can see she's kind of giving him the eye. She says, I brought you nourishment. She sits down next to him and says, It is a nice name. Chiku. <laughs> Chikuf. Chikuf. It is a very nice name. When she walked in the cell, they were playing this music that would probably have ended up in another type of film that was done by one of the other <laughs> guest stars on this episode. I'm biting my tongue right now, Dana. You're going to bite it off soon. I know. So in Kirk's cell, the aluminum foil girl is watching him eat, and Kirk asks about the collar. She says, it's a sign of our provider. When you are vended, you will have a color. So they put them in like vending machines. But by the way, the food, the food always fascinates me in these shows, Dana. Looks like someone took a package of frozen vegetables, like the mixed vegetables and just put it in a little bowl for him. That's what it looked like to me. Yeah, he was eating with his fingers. Yeah, he was. Yeah. Apparently they don't, they don't have utensils. We went to a restaurant one time. Oh good, this should be a good story. So the waitress came over and, you know, is there anything else you all need? <laughs> My wife said, uh, can we get some cutlery? Cutlery. And the waitress looked stunned and said, we're not that type of restaurant. <laughs> and, so, and so I said, we just want our place settings when, you know, eating utensils. And she's like, oh, I'll get that for you right away. <laughs> but I mean, what did, what do you think this woman thought cutlery meant? I got no idea. <laughs> so, yeah, we were all stunned. So again, the aluminum foil girl. We don't know her name yet. That's why I keep saying that. Well, I, I like that name anyway, even once we do find out her name. <laughs> Well, you know, somebody's going to write in and say, why did you keep referring to her as the aluminum foil girl? Because it's a very accurate description. That's why. She says, when you're vended, you will have a color. And Kirk says, you mean sold. She says, the provider who offers the most quatus puts his color on us. Kirk says, we have another name for it. Slavery. Kirk then asks, will you provide my nourishment? Right away, Kirk just goes there. I mean, didn't <laughs> waste any time. Oh, God, Dana, this episode. <laughs> so she says, of course, I am your drill thrall. She says, I will train you well. Kirk says, I must say, I've never seen a top sergeant who looked like you. What does that mean? It means you're a very beautiful woman. What is beautiful? You mean nobody's ever told you that before? Dan, I think this is one example of the, how the writing in this episode is really bad. Not just poor, not just off, bad, just really bad. Is he trying to manipulate her or is he really infatuated with her? It's manipulation. Then he says, Shauna, where were you born? So now we know the tinfoil girl's name. She says she's always been there. And he asks about her parents and she says, she who bore me was killed in a freestyle match. Kirk asks where the other drill thralls come from and she says they're not allowed to discuss that. All of a sudden, a red light flashes and she says, it's the exercise interval. She pushes a harness toward him and tells him to put it on. Now, did that harness show up in one of her films too or <laughs> with William <laughs> Shatner just... in it? <laughs> so back in the Enterprise, McCoy is being a pain and challenging Spock again, stating, this is ridiculous. There's nothing out there. Holy f***. Have you ever been out in space before, McCoy? <laughs> I mean, we know there's nothing out there. <laughs> 
God, he's pissing me off in this show. <laughs> yeah, he was making me mad too. At one point, I really wished that Spock would have gone up to McCoy and just done the neck pinch. Just a really double neck pinch. Back on the planet, the training is going on. So Lars ties Kirk's hands and Galt says, you will be the practice target. Klug, the big ugly guy with the bad teeth, is using a whip on Kirk. We see the back of Kirk's shirt is ripped. Kirk is doing his best to avoid being hit. Kirk finally manages to kick Klug and knock him back. Galt calls a timeout of 15 trisecs. Kirk goes and sits down next to Shauna and she gives him a drink saying it will give him strength. Then she tells him that Klug's left eye is weak and he should approach from that side. The, the drink, though, it looked like Grape Fanta to me in kind of a tall, skinny soda bottle. I mean, yeah. the bottle didn't look like a Grape Fanta bottle, but it looked like a soda bottle and it looked just like Grape Fanta. So this 15 trisects, they're like going to their corners in a boxing match, right? Yeah, which is stupid. Klug goes over and sits by Uhura and Chekhov, I think, right? On the same bench? Yeah, it's like they're <laughs> old friends. <laughs> Chekhov should have leaned over. Uh, let me tell you how to get to Kirk. Kick him in the nuts. He do not like that. In Russia, we kick people in nuts. This was invented in Russia. <laughs> So when the match resumes, Kirk is dancing around, avoiding the whip. We also see that he is working to get his hands free. Kirk rolls and gets his hands in front of him, which was all Shatner, by the way. Yeah. Quite the stunt. Yeah, it was good. He knocks Klug down, then runs behind him and jumps on his back, strangling him with the strap that bound his wrist. When they drop to the ground, there is a booming voice that says, hold. Galt says, we hold, Provider 1. And Provider 1 says... He bids 250 quatos. A bidding war starts with the other voices coming in, bidding on the newcomer, Kirk. Galt says the newcomer has been vended to, to Provider 1. Galt warns all three of them that now that they have been vended, any further disobedience will mean death. Kind of wished it would have happened, actually, because the show would have been over. <laughs> Yeah, I was starting to feel the same. Yeah. You know, when the fight scene was going on, I meant to mention this, the camera shows Uhura watching the fight. It shows Chekhov watching the fight. Walter Koenig, who plays Chekhov, looked like he was about to start laughing or had been laughing during the fight scene. Oh, really? I didn't notice that. And, you know, the one who was playing Shauna, she, the look on her face was like, this is high art. Is this Shakespeare? <laughs> yeah, she had that kind of dumbfounded look on her face all the time. Emphasis on the dumb. <laughs> So we go back to the bridge to see if McCoy is still being insubordinate. Now, Scotty... <laughs> Now, Scotty is strongly suggesting that they're on a fool's errand. So while Spock and the Enterprise are searching for their friends, it reminded me that I spent a lot of time searching for photos on my computer and extra hard drives, Dan. Yeah, Dana, spending hours looking for a special photo on the computer can be a real hassle. Didn't you sign up for PhotoBucket? You do know you can organize and create special albums of all your photos and videos. You know, I just dumped photos onto a hard drive and I thought, I'll go in there someday and I'll organize them. Well, today's the day, Dana. Dana, put those videos and photos on PhotoBucket and create albums of your most memorable high school pictures, college pictures, even your wedding pictures. Just the second wedding, Dan. Okay. Well, remember, $5 gets you a full terabyte of memory on PhotoBucket. No one else is offering that much space, Dana. So you can get all of your pictures on there, all your vacations, all your family events, everything all in one place. You're right, Dan. I'm going there now. Well, wait, hold on, Dana. Let's get back to the podcast. I'm sure everyone is one wondering where Kirk and Shauna are right now. Back on the planet, Dan, Kirk is following Shauna on a jog. <laughs> <laughs> I was not expecting this. I was just going to say something again about the uh, Jiffy Pop containers. <laughs> 
but I won't. I won't stoop to that level. It's important to note, Kirk is shirtless, only wearing the harness. Shauna doesn't seem winded at all. No, no. She's prepping for her future career, Dana. Getting those aerobic muscles going. Yep, she's going to need them. <laughs> <laughs> So Kirk asks why the providers like watching people be hurt and killed. And she says, that is the way. I love those really profound statements, by the way. Kirk says they sound mechanical. And Kirk asks if they have bodies. And she says, not such as ours. Kirk keeps asking questions and puts on the Kirk charm saying, this sure is a pretty place. <laughs> God. And I was like, it's like ruins. Yeah. You know, it's like, you know, then he comes up behind her and puts his hands on her shoulders and he talks about the planets and stars and she is just fucking clueless. <laughs> just. <laughs> okay. So here's a question that I have. Is she stupid because of the writing or the acting? I don't mean to like make a lot of fun of this person. I mean, she's a human being and, you know, had a life and everything, but I mean, her acting sucked. I, it seemed like it really sucked to me. But I don't want you to get upset with me, Dana. You could put Julie Newmar in her role and it still would have been bad. Are you angry? I beg to differ with you, Dan. <laughs> well, you would have just liked to see Julie Newmar wearing the, you know, the Jiffy Pop containers. <laughs> you know, Dan, the writing is not great. I think she's supposed to be playing that she's just completely ignorant of everything except for the fighting. But she comes off just as dumb. And I think that's because the person who's acting is just really bad. And, and I hate to say that because I know nothing about acting. Well, you know what you like. Now, for us to really evaluate her acting, we, we need to kind of see the whole oeuvre. Is that the right word? <laughs> I think it is. Oeuvre? Oeuvre means like your body of work. Well, we'd like to see her body working, but um, I <laughs> yeah. think that's what it means, doesn't it? Oeuvre? Nobody's used that phrase with me. Maybe nobody wants to see my oeuvre of work. I don't know. <laughs> Kirk says uh, Triskelion is the darkest planet, and this baffles her even more, and he explains to her that the Thralls have no freedom. And Shauna asks, what else would one do? And that's the opening Kirk was looking for, <laughs> quite literally. He says, uh, love, it's the most important thing on his planet. God, Dana. Oh. <laughs> She says they have mates and that the providers select them. And Kirk continues wooing her and he says, on Earth, we select our own mates and men and women make each other happy. So Shauna gets kind of nervous and says, your words are not allowed. And she walks away from him. And he says, what about the providers? What do they look like? Where do they live? And she starts to tell him she's never seen them. But earlier she said they have bodies, but not like ours. The person is writing the script. Do they like take a break, you know, and then forget what they wrote five minutes before? It's bad, Dana. Bad, 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 bad. Yeah, I agree. I was trying to think of something else to say. <laughs> trying to defend it, but I couldn't come up with anything. So. <laughs> So she starts to tell them that she's never seen them. And then her collar lights up and she is struck with pain. And she goes writhing onto the floor. Once again, preparing for a future role. <laughs> or roles. <laughs> Kirk yells at the sky for them to stop hurting her. And he says, I'm responsible. Stop it. Dana, this is again an example of bad writing, in my opinion, of this episode. And, and here's why. Earlier, it seemed like he was manipulating her. Yeah, he's just using her. And now it's almost like that he's falling in love with her or something. It just was bad. Well, I think they're trying to show that he's a caring person. Yeah, no, he's not. <laughs> 
So the voice booms overhead. Is that what you humans call compassion? It is interesting, but it has no value here. You present many interesting aspects, Captain, even though we took away your title. But you... <laughs> <laughs> I missed that one, Dana. I missed that one. Oh, you'll add it. Yeah, just add that one. Yeah. But you must learn obedience. Then you will be an excellent thrall. Her collar stops glowing and Kirk goes to her and holds her. She looks at him and says, you risk bringing their anchor. Their anchor? <laughs> they got a boat up there? What's going on? <laughs> <laughs> drop anchor. He's like, well, I want to drop trial first and then I'll drop anchor. <laughs> I'll show you how it means to drop anchor. <laughs> oh, no. I'm crying again. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so she looks at him and says you risk bringing their anger on yourself why he says it's the custom of my people to help others when they're in trouble and then he kisses her and then she says and this is where the good writing comes in dan okay let's hear it is that also helping <laughs> <laughs> i'm sure kirk's thinking well it's helping me <laughs> But he says, you could call it that. And she looks at him and says, please help me once again. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God, Dan, so bad. <laughs> and so Kirk kisses her. And then when they break the kiss, she says, I did not know it could be like this between people. So back on the ship, McCoy and Scotty are pacing together on the bridge. And Spock asks if they can go faster than warp six. Not Scotty and McCoy walking, but uh, the ship. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you clarified that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, I realized when I said that, it could have been misconstrued. Scotty says, it's my opinion that we've gone too far as it is. So McCoy approaches Spock. He says, he's right. We've lost Jim and the others on Gamma 2 and insists they go back to Gamma 2. And Scotty says, I'm in agreement with Dr. McCoy. Oh, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> Is this the part for you that was really the kind of the last straw? Scotty's an engineer, but he's also a military man. He knows the chain of command. Spock gets out of the chair and he walks around it. A little bit more private conversation with the two men. He says, I am in command of this vessel and we shall continue on our present course. Unless it is your intention to declare a mutiny. Mr. Spock. Who said anything about a mutiny, you stubborn pointed eared? If we don't find them here. We still have another search on Gamma 2. Agreed. Uh, Mr. Scott, could you manage Warp 7? I would be more than content to do so, sir. And maybe a wee bit more. What was all that? I don't know, Dana. <laughs> For one thing, at this point in the show, McCoy would have been like on a tether outside the ship. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Again, just another really bad piece of writing. Yeah, I was happy to see Scotty come around, but it just bothered me that they had to go there. I was really glad that Spock said, unless you want to have a mutiny, because I was I was like, I'm about to have a mutiny on this episode. Yeah, come. Calm, Dana, calm. We don't want you to pop that shoulder. <laughs> so back in Kirk's cell, Shauna brings him more, quote unquote, nourishment. She drops the food off and starts to walk out. And Kirk asks if she was disturbed by what happened today. Uh, which part? The uh, bad acting? <laughs> She says, you made me feel strangely. Then Kirk kisses her. And when they break the kiss, he punches her and knocks her out. <laughs> what is happening in this episode? <laughs> I'm about to punch myself. I'm about to punch myself, Dana. He says he's sorry. <laughs> And then he lays her down on the bed and he takes the key to the cells, goes on, locks you, her and check off cells. 
So they leave the cell area. Galt appears and his eyes light up and they grab at their necks. He stops the pain and we hear the provider one say, Only a reminder, you Earth people are most unusual. On the bridge, Spock says, Sensors indicate only one concentration of life forms on the planet. Humanoid readings. McCoy suggests that they beam down an attack force to the planet. And Spock disagrees, and McCoy argues with him a little more. Couldn't Spock put McCoy in the ion pod and just jettison him out? <laughs> <laughs> so Spock says he will go down to the planet alone, and McCoy says he'll go too. As they go to leave the bridge, the turbo lift doors close and the lights on the ship flash. Provider One's voice booms and says, No, Mr. Spock, you will not be beaming down to the planet. Well, how about McCoy? Can I send this fucker down there? <laughs> He'd be like, no, he's a real pain in the ass. <laughs> so down on the planet, they hear the provider's voice and they can hear Spock and McCoy as well. And Kirk says, the voice you're hearing is the provider's. Provider one says, we use the term because we provide for their needs. And the term is easier for them to understand because they're stupid. <laughs> <laughs> Kirk says they collect thralls from different planets to fight and they bet on the outcome. He goes on, these providers haven't the courage to show themselves. And provider one says, you are no threat to us as long as you wear the collar. And Kirk insists that they show themselves and suddenly Kirk disappears and he reappears in a cave. And we see three blobs in a glass dome. And the blobs are like jello molds. Again, the jello comes into play in Star Trek. I guess they're supposed to be like brains. Yeah, but they're like one's red one's yellow and what one's green or something one of the brains talks and says we once had human form but we moved beyond that the yellow brain adds through eons of devoting ourselves exclusively to intellectual pursuits like listening to the damn it jim podcast we became <laughs> <laughs> we became the physically simple mentally superior creatures you see before you this sounds like a recycled idea from several other episodes of star trek Kirk says a species that enslaves other beings is hardly superior. And Provider 3 says, you're most interesting. We hoped you would improve our stock. And he's like, well, I'm already working on that. <laughs> so Provider 2 adds, yes, the most interesting. Too bad you have to be destroyed. Kirk says, killing us will only bring about your own demise. He says, you can't control the entire Federation. Provider 1 says, your ship will be destroyed by a magnetic storm. No one will know the difference. Kirk says, and you call yourself superior? You're murderers without the spirit to really wager on the lives you take. And the providers ask for an explanation. So Kirk's playing chess with him and he's got him. Kirk tells him that his people pride themselves on being the greatest, most successful gamblers in the universe. Kirk says, I wager that my crew can overcome an equal number of thralls set against them. And he says, if we win, the Enterprise goes free. Furthermore, you free all the thralls. Providers say they'll die without us. And Kirk says, not if you educate them. And then they ask, and if you lose? Kirk says, if we lose, we will never make a bad television show again. <laughs> and I'll give you the writer and the producer. You do whatever you want with them. Kirk says, if we lose, we will remain here, the entire crew of the Enterprise. And the people up on the Enterprise are going, what the fuck is he doing <laughs> <Yeah>. down there? <laughs> and McCoy is like, well, looks like Kirk's not down there either. Let's get out of this area. <laughs> <laughs> Even Spock's like, mm, I must agree with you, doctor. 
The providers agree on one condition that Kirk represent his crew against three contestants of our choosing. So Kirk pops back into the middle of the arena. They explain the fight is to the death and that he must stay on the yellow areas and his opponents must stay on the gray areas. And because they're nice people, they're going to allow the Enterprise to watch the match. Another recycled idea from Arena. Which I thought they could have used a Gorn in this episode, actually. Oh, that would have been great. Much better than the Andorian guy. So it's Kirk, Klug, Lars, and an Andorian, as you mentioned. And the fight goes on. He keeps knocking them down or pushing them back. Finally, he throws the spear and he kills Klug. Then while he's fighting Lars, the Andorian throws a spear and Kirk ducks and it kills Lars. I was like, damn, there goes Elvis. (laughs) Finally, Kirk fights the Andorian and Kirk throws him. The Andorian is only injured, so Galt sends Shauna in to fight Kirk. Twice she gets him down and could kill him, but she kind of hesitates. Kirk finally trips her and he pins her down and holds a knife to her throat so she surrenders and Kirk wins. And the providers say they will honor their word and the collars now can be removed. So then Kirk tells Shauna he is sorry, but he had to do what he did. And she asks if she can go with him to the stars. And he says, no. (laughs) (laughs) Can you imagine him bringing her up to the ship? (laughs) Hi, this is my girlfriend. So she asks you to go with him, and he says, no, and you, you have too much to learn here. All the people must learn before you can reach the stars. And she like kind of looks upwards, and then he steps forward, and he kisses her again. Then he calls to Scotty and says, beam us up. Shauna watches him dematerialize. And then she looks skyward and says, Goodbye, Jim Kirk. I will learn and watch the lights in the sky. And remember... My God, Dana. Dan, I had a tear in my eye. She had some tears too. Did you notice that she was crying? Yeah. Those may have been real tears if they were the only good piece of acting in this entire episode. I'm sure she was thinking, I'm going to be up for an Emmy. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to get a Grammy for this. God, Dana, the ending. I I was like livid at that point. I mean, I was happy it was over. Yeah. But so bad. Oh, Dana, this had to be the worst ending of any of the episodes we've seen so far. I don't totally hate this episode, but yeah, there's parts of it that I really do. So Dana, we both have some comments about some of the actors in this episode, right? Yeah, I just actually have one about uh, the woman that played Shauna. So her name was Angelique Pettyjohn. That was her stage name. That's not the name she was born with. Not a big name star. I know many of you would be surprised by that. But she was well-remembered by Star Trek fans for this role as Shauna. During the 60s, she also appeared in a few other TV shows at the time, including uh, The Man from U.N.C.L.E., Love American Style, Get Smart, and even Batman. In the early 80s, she made three hardcore adult films. And and I I guess in one, she wore the harness that she wore in this episode. The harness? Do you mean like the whole Jiffy Pop assemblage or... I I don't know. The, The article I was reading just said the harness. Oh, you didn't see the movie? No, 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 no. Well, I mean, I thought you might have done research for the show, for our listeners, yeah. Dane. I thought you might have gone the extra mile. That's, I was telling my wife that I was going to do some research, and, and when she saw what I was researching, she said no. She unplugged the internet. Yeah. <laughs> 
1979, she found new life at uh, Star Trek conventions. Uh, she realized that people wanted to see her and get her autograph. Because of that, she got some notoriety and she went on to make a few more movies. Most notably of those was uh, a cult classic called Repo Man. So, Dan, she died at age 48 in 1992. Far too young. I'm sure she had a lot of great acting out in front of her. We missed. <laughs> I don't want to make fun of the dead, Dana. Oh, now you don't. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was sad. She, you know, in, in fact, she had a drug and alcohol addiction. And like you said, she when she found that new life in the Star Trek circuit, a convention circuit, she kind of was able to kick those addictions. Like you said, unfortunately, died really way too young of cancer, I believe. Anything else uh, you wanted to add, Dan? Yeah, there is, Dana. I had mentioned earlier in our discussion of this episode that Lars reminded me of Elvis. Well, there's a connection between Angelique Petty John and Elvis. Really? Yeah. In 1961, she was an extra in the film Blue Hawaii. And apparently uh, some of Elvis's friends were throwing a party one night and they invited her to come to the party. She ended up spending the night with Elvis. She gave birth to a son who apparently she put up for adoption. So he grows up, somehow finds out that his mother is Angelique Petty John, his father is Elvis. As an adult, he finds this out and he legally somehow proves it and is able to change his name to Elvis Aaron Presley Jr. Okay. Holy cow. You're kidding me. No, no. I did not do enough research. I tell you. Yeah, this was uh, a rabbit hole. Let me put it that way, Dana. This guy has a website. Looks like he made it in like about 1991 and hasn't changed it. You wouldn't believe what he does for a living, Dana. I'm guessing that he uh, sings Elvis songs. He's an Elvis impersonator. <laughs> Now, I have to say, I did watch some of the videos that he has on his website. I believe he inherited more from his mother than his father as far as talent goes, because he's horrible, Dana. He's horrible. <laughs> he's not even a good Elvis impersonator. But here's the here's the deal. You can buy autographed pictures on his website, okay, for the amazingly low price of $12.49. Wow. I think we need to get him on the show. <laughs> Anyway, crazy story. I don't know if any of it's true. I don't know, you know, did he prove it through DNA? I don't know how he proved it, Dana. So anyway, that's all I've got. Let's move on. Do you have a, a theme or dilemma for this episode? Oh, God. Freedom. Humans can't live without it. Love. Being captive by supreme beings who don't understand what it is to be human. I mean, these topics are so tired. How many episodes have we seen now with this theme? Five, ten? <laughs> Feels like 10, but I think it might be five. You know, like you said earlier, just recycled. How about a dilemma for you? Uh, the dilemma for me was getting through this episode. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I mean, the other thing was uh, slavery is bad. Yeah, deep. It was a deep, deep episode, Dana. Let's move on to uh, what's uh, the best and worst. Dan, do you have a best for us? Well, Dana, I'm going to recycle something. I think this was the best that I had for the alternative factor, and that is the ending. Not not just the ending scene, but when the with the actual rolling of the credits ending. Stupid episode, bad acting, recycled themes. The best is just when it ended. How about you? The outfit that uh, Shauna wore. <laughs> <laughs> that is low-hanging fruit. Uh, no pun intended. <laughs> Uh, do you have another best part, Dan? This one is a real one. When Uhura was standing up for herself and not willing to take crap from anybody, even when she was attacked by Elvis slash Ricky Nelson in the beginning of the episode. How about you, another best part? I was really afraid Kirk was going to talk the brains to death. <laughs> just, uh, and so he didn't. So that made it one of the best parts for me. So it was the best part by omission. Yeah. Do you have a worst part for us, Dan? Just one. Just one part. I know it's going to be difficult. Uh, one is the poor writing. I, I, I think this episode 
almost had like an identity crisis, you know, in some of the scenes, it was supposed to be funny. And we had the music like you mentioned earlier, because apparently we're stupid. And we had to hear the funny music to tell us that was a funny scene. And then other parts, there were like serious topics, you know, about freedom and what does it mean to be human? It was a very, very scattered. So I think next to the alternative factor, this is the episode I hate the most so far. How about a worst part for you? Well, I talked about it quite a bit, but McCoy constantly challenging Spock. Seriously, Spock should have locked him in the brig at, at the very least uh, for just gross insubordination. Do you get another worst part for us? Yeah, again, I don't want to speak poorly of the dead, but Angelique Pettyjohn, Dana, I, you know, I don't know how someone gets this far and gets on a television show with a relatively major role and is such a poor actor. I just don't know how that happens. How about another worst part for you? You know, the other aliens that were there on the planet didn't do anything for me. They just seemed kind of humanoid. Like I said earlier, they should have had a Gorn as one of the thralls. So, Dana, I believe this was the first episode of 1968, wasn't it? It was, Dan. It was released on January 5th, 1968. The number one song in the U.S. was Hello, Goodbye by the Beatles. And uh, in the U.K., I think it's three or four weeks now, Hello, Goodbye by the Beatles. Where does this song come in there? Oeuvre. <laughs> <laughs> this is late. So, uh, Dan, also, Alexander Dubček was chosen as the leader of the something in Polish. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Did you read these in advance, Dan? I, I thought I could wing it with Kamenistika, Strana Czeska, Gatlaka, Gunska, Vaska. You know, here's what you should do. Just just channel your inner Chekhov and say it. How about we move on to something else? No, this is about the only... <laughs> This is about the only other thing that was interesting on the, the state. He was chosen as the leader of Czechoslovakia. So uh, the next interesting thing that happened was uh, on January 6th, actually, Norman Shumway performed the first successful heart transplant in the United States, operating at the Standard University Hospital in California. The donor was a 43-year-old woman, Virginia May White, who had suffered a cerebral hemorrhage while celebrating her 22nd wedding anniversary. And her husband was like, yeah, okay, if you want to call that that's that's exactly what it was yeah <laughs> had nothing to do with that drink that i gave her the recipient was mike kasparak a 54 year old steel worker dying of viral myco myocarditis yeah he had a heart problem dana <laughs> Kasparak survived only 15 days, dying on January 21st, not of heart failure, but of liver failure, Dan. So more importantly, several Caltech students held a protest over the rumors that Star Trek was going to be canceled. According to the Los Angeles Times, a group of more than 200 Caltech students marched to and demonstrated in front of NBC studios in Burbank as part of what appeared to be a grassroots campaign actually orchestrated by Gene Roddenberry to get the network to renew Star Trek for a third season. Wait, so this was a whole inside job by Gene Roddenberry? That's what this says, yeah. Like, you know, Vietnam War, 1968. Nah, nah, let's, let's go protest, make sure Star Trek stays on the air. Hey, it was something he believed in. Well, yeah, because it was his paycheck. <laughs> so, Dan, let's move on to the counts. Yes, let's do that, Dana. How about the dead crewman count this week? Zero, Dan. We're still stuck at 44. The shirtless Kirk, rip shirt Kirk count. I counted two this week with a rip shirt and then no shirt. So that puts us up to 15. How about the he's dead count? No, as much as I was hoping that uh, Spock was going to kill McCoy. 
<laughs> Nobody said he's dead. We're stuck at 12, Dan. I'm a doctor, not a fill in the blank. I'm a doctor, not a good officer on a starship. Uh, <laughs> would have been one that was usable for this show. Uh, but he never said that. So uh, we had zero again. The tally still sits at eight. All right. The supreme being count. I'm counting the uh, gamesters uh, as supreme beings because they were able to control everything. So one for this week. What, what are we up to? That puts us at nine. How about a violation of the prime directive? If you think about it, they did kind of interfere with what this planet had going on, but it was wrong, Dan. It was wrong. Yeah. I mean, it was a violation of my senses watching this episode, <laughs> but not the prime directive. So zero this week. Leaves us at six. And how about a taking over of the Enterprise? It wasn't for long, but those gamesters did. They kept Spock from getting on the turbo lift and beaming down to the planet with McCoy, where I hope they would have left him. So one this week? And that puts us at a total of seven, Dan. Dana, before we go, we do want to thank our sponsor, Photobucket, for signing up on this mission through our voyage of the Star Trek original series. Photobucket, the go-to platform for all your photo and video sharing needs. Photobucket, where memories come alive. So whether you're a dedicated Trekkie or just discovering the wonders of the Star Trek universe, tune in to Damn It Jim, the podcast, and let Photobucket help you capture the essence of your own interstellar journey. Every picture and video you take today is a memory you'll treasure tomorrow. That's something Photobucket takes seriously. And what makes Photobucket different? Compression-free backup cloud storage means your pictures and videos won't lose quality over time. So that picture you take when your son goes to his first Star Trek convention will still look fresh and new when he goes to his 25th one. So remember to get one month free, use the promo code DAMMITJIM when you sign up. So Dana, what do we have coming up next week? Dan, next week, it's another Star Trek classic, a piece of the action. And I'm pretty sure we won't have many comments about Kirk and Spock dressing up in 1930s gangster attire. I'm looking forward to reviewing this one, Dana. I really do like this episode. I do too. It's uh, it's a little bit fun, a little bit serious. It's got pretty much everything except for Julie Newmar. <laughs> and Jiffy Pop. All right, Dana, we do want to remind our listeners to, to call the Damn It Jim hotline. We've added a new twist to it. If you need some advice, love life, financial, anything, really, give us a call. Once again, the number is 509-676-6298. We had two calls this week. I said we'd get up to six. Dana, you said we'd get how many? Five. All right. So let's see who's going to win that bet. So give us those phone calls. We'd love to hear from you. As always, we appreciate the emails and Facebook correspondence. Dana, I have to say one thing. I always enjoy reviewing these episodes with you, but thank God this one is over. Dan, we always have fun no matter what we're talking about. I hope our listeners did too. Until we meet again, live long and prosper. Thanks once again for listening to Dammit Jim, the podcast. We'd love to hear from you. Please send us an email at dammitjimpodcast at gmail.com or join the discussion on Facebook, YouTube, or Instagram. You can also give us a call on the Dammit Jim hotline at 509-676-6298. Make sure to join Dan and Dana next week for the episode, A Piece of the Action. Enjoy the rest of your week. And until we see you again, make sure to live long and prosper. This has been a Ramble Jar production. 